Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. And this is the weekly Spirit Seeker Hour where we delve into the mind, body, and spirit and whatever can enhance that and make your life a happier, more fulfilling presence on this planet Earth. And each week we interview authors and filmmakers and you know musicians, anyone who is contributing uh, to this, this wave of healthier living, happier living, and connecting to the mind, body, and spirit. Spirit Seeker Magazine has been published for 17 years in the Midwest. You can read the magazine at www.spiritseeker.com. We have been published online for 15 of those 17 years. We were right there at the wave of when the Internet started, and uh, we have readers globally, and we appreciate your love and support. If you uh, would be kind enough to send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at spiritseeker.com, we will uh, add you to our sacrosanct email list and let you know about the weekly radio shows, when the monthly magazine is online, and we also let you know of national and international uh, events that, you know, help support your mind, body, and spirit. So in this um, this issue, the October issue, we have some great articles. Uh, one is Clutter Side Effects, How the State of Your Home Affects Your Life. We have an article on Energy Savings Month. This is a national theme. Uh, we have a, a green monthly article each month. We have an article on Reiki and breast cancer. Many of you know that seven years ago I went through that experience, and this article is really, really wonderful in you know, uh, encouraging people to look at different alternatives uh, for health and wellness. We also have an article by uh, the guest that I'm about to bring on, and that is, Are You Making the Eight Common Juicing Mistakes? And I have been following uh, this, this this wonderful author, uh, actually the authors of Hungry for Change and um, Food Matters for several months now, and we've published several of their articles. Uh, you can find all kinds of information uh, on their websites, and without further ado, I'd like to bring on my guest, James uh, Colhoun. So, James, are you there? Hi, Cindy. Yes, I am. You know, you you have an interesting, you know, I, I've read so much information, and I'm like, gosh, they started as filmmakers, and then... Um, the next thing you were you you it was your father who was um having an illness which encouraged you well let's hear it from you how did all this start i mean it you, was it was really my father's illness that that kicked it all off and um Laurentine and i my partner we were studying nutrition at the time and and could see that my father's health was deteriorating and he was entrusting his advice to the to the best that the medical profession could offer, and that really consisted of a different cocktail of medications that they they would prescribe him in the hope that it would cure his illness and get rid of all his symptomatology. But it was a lofty goal, and it didn't happen. He basically continued to get sicker and sicker, and, and Laurentine and I were at the same time advancing our knowledge in nutrition. We could see that there was so much that nutrition and natural medicine and natural therapies could could do to help him. And it was frustrating because I'm not sure if any of your listeners are in this similar situation, but they might have uncles or aunties or cousins or sisters or brothers or mothers or fathers even who are dealing with a chronic illness and they have this urge to want to share so much about nutrition and natural therapies with them. But it's a difficult thing. It's, it's like religion and politics. It's not easy to bring up over the dinner table, hey, have you considered not eating this or changing this? It's it's a tough conversation. Well, and anything with food, people get, you know, somewhat defensive. I, I remember Indeed. when Marianne Williamson uh, wrote her book about, um, you know, weight loss. And I was at a seminar with probably 
I don't know, close to 3,000 people, uh, and she's up on stage, this tiny little person, talking to people about, you know, their diet is what is creating, you know, so much of the, you know, the overweightness, et cetera. And so many people, I've tried every diet, I've done this, and you could just see people just like almost hostile, like you're this yeah. tiny person trying to tell us how to eat right. Yeah. <laughs> It is. Um, it's a very emotionally charged issue. Yeah. And there are a lot of emotions attached to food, and there is so much in the mind-body aspect of dealing with it, but there's also a lot just in that nuts and bolts, vitamins, minerals, toxicity, deficiencies. There's so much in that aspect as well, and we need to work with both. And that was that was an interesting challenge to try get that belief system across to my father, and that was where we came up with the idea for making a film because it can be a very influential piece of media and you can sit there and watch it on the couch eating your chips and and take it for what it is <laughs> well and you know people really are hungry for change and you know we're, we're we're finding as you know that um there are more overweight children than ever before because of the they sit in school all day they sit in front of their computers they sit with their iPhones, they sit in front of their games, and it's not just the sitting, though. It's, you know, the whole thing about, you know, fast, quick meals, etc. So some of the things that um, you write about are why sugar and white flour are the cocaine of the food industry, yeah. you know, um, which I, when I read that, I thought, you know what, what a good way to put it, you know, it's like, you want to, you know, and when you think back, not that long ago, we had Pepsi-Cola with cocaine in it to give you that little, you know, or, or Coca-Cola, I mean, some of the sodas we drink, I mean, when you think back, they, they literally had cocaine in them. I know. What's so interesting is when you sort of take a snapshot of humanity, we've existed on this planet for quite a while, um, taking out debates about how we got here. But even if you just look at the last, you know, few three to five hundred years even, if you look at what's happened in the last fifty years, we have gone through such dramatic change in so many different aspects of how we interact with our food and the environment. We have basically since World War Two released and developed 44,000 plus man-made chemicals into the environment. And that's in our food, it's in the water supply, it's in the fish, it's in the animals, it's in the grains, it's in everything. We're spraying it on our crops. That has had a huge effect of putting this enormous amount of toxicity into our food, food chain. And we also see it in the form of additives as well, the MSG, the aspartame, artificial sweeteners, the preservatives and so forth. So if you can imagine our bodies adapting over 500 years or a few thousand years or tens of thousands of years, and then in this last 50-year period, we've gone and dumped all these chemicals into it, and we've processed our food in new ways, and we've increased our sugar consumption in by up to tenfold, and some kids are eating an enormous amount of sugar these days. So if you look at that objectively, you can, you can start to see and understand why we're experiencing such rates of chronic disease that we are today. And cancer's gone from 1 in 10 to like 1 in 2 now. Heart disease as well, 1 in 2, 1 in 3. And we've got these childhood obesity, diabetes issues, or as Dr. Mark Hyman says, who wrote the foreword for the Hunger for Change book, diabetes, which is a really interesting term now. And so I, I can start to see it more clearly now as I envisage that and as we've done the research for the Food Matters and the Hunger for Change films and interviewed all these experts. And the solution becomes then quite simple. It has to be what's the antithesis of that? How can I go against what has degraded our population so much in the last 50 years? And that's a return to a, a, a diet that resembles what we're reasonably well adapted to, to consume, and that's a lot of fresh fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, superfoods, herbs, and other amazing things. And, and if you choose to eat animal products, then make sure they're prepared and growing in, in a beautiful and a harmonious way that is sort of like they did before we invented all these chemicals. And that's, that's one of the core messages of both of the films. Well, and I, and I think you're you're really hitting on something. You know, when we support the local farmers, the farmers that are that are farming in a way that is not using pesticides and everything else. You know, you, sometimes people say, "Well, I can't afford to eat that way." Excuse me, you can't afford not to eat that way. And you know, we we you know, if you're going to eat meat, I, I love how you brought that up. I mean, there's nothing wrong with eating meat or fish, mm -hmm. but when we know that it's 
it's been shipped from here and there and not coming from the best of waters, shall we say. Um, you know, there are so many local farmers, and I, I think that, you know, this information is there. And almost every large city within within reach, there are community agriculture gardens and, and you know, and so, and so forth. And, and you really make it easy. I mean, I, I love how you and Laurentine, um, you know, you talk about, okay, how do you do it? Timing is everything, you know. You know, with juice, whether it's juicing or uh, preparing a meal, it's you know, and you cover so much. So, I mean, this had to be fascinating to interview people that were already on the cutting edge, and then you pulling in your knowledge together with us. It was really fascinating, and I think it's it's a continual learning journey, but it's also an, an unlearning process. I think if we naturally walked out and stood barefoot on the ground, we would start to remember what our diet would be. We'd be able to reassemble what our diet would be, but we're wearing shoes, we're inside, we're in this busy lifestyle, we have to go, 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 we've got kids, we've got our jobs, we've got our parents, our family responsibilities, and that time-poor nature of our, of our of modern humans has has led us towards this convenience-based lifestyle, and that's that's been the birth of, I guess, big modern capitalism, and that's where we've seen big agribusiness thrive because we need more grain and more convenience food and more processed white flours and this and that and we need more corn and corn byproducts to make sweeteners for sweet sugary drinks and we need more pharmaceutical drugs for people who have a headache who can't have 10 minutes to do some breath work and drink some more water and or do a bit of yoga and relax for a little bit so something for them so we've been conditioned towards this convenience-based lifestyle. That was really the whole sell in the 50s and 60s, wasn't it, when there was the microwaves and all these great conveniences. And now, you know, microwaves are not a great item for your health. I'd encourage people to do some research on the microwave and potentially um, throw it out or try recycle it. But we, we have been the victim of our own want to, to convenience, to make more conveniences in our lives. And, and that's that's something we need to sort of crack out of and we need to get back into the kitchen. We need to get back into the garden. We need to realize where our food comes from. There's kids in, this, in, in the U.S. and Australia where I'm from and New Zealand that don't know what certain vegetables are. I mean, I remember when Jamie came and did some shows here, Jamie Oliver, who we featured a small piece of his in, in, the, in the Hungry for Change film, and he was holding up different vegetables, like beets, for example, and kids were calling them all sorts of different things, but not beets. You know, there's the... We just uh, uh, we need to reconnect with our food because it's what nourishes us and what keeps us healthy. You know, I think I think it was in the the 1950s when a lot of the dietary changes started. You know, mm-hmm. it was all of a sudden there was Wonder Bread, and you know, and all the commercials for you know how yeah. easy and everything. Yeah. And you know, and then there were canned vegetables, but not canned like you know. I mean, I can remember as a small girl watching my mother and my aunts, you know, make the jelly, uh, yeah. can the tomatoes. And I'm actually, you know, when I was younger, I was, you know, I did this, but you know, then of course, all of a sudden, I was raising four stepchildren and two of my own and you know it went from from just worrying you know not worrying but being concerned with myself to feeding a family and what did I know about feeding a family you know I mean, it was like it was quite fascinating but you know I like how you talk about how to navigate um, the supermarket you know um, and and that 90% of the food that's going in the cart is processed food so let's talk just a little bit about this like how really to help people learn how to start making these changes Great. Well, I think one of the, the easiest tips you can do when you walk into a supermarket is take a hard left or a hard right, one of the two, and head to the outside. Generally, in most supermarkets, they set up the fresh food and the produce and and other fresh sort of products around the outside, and then more of the processed products in the in in the, in the middle aisles. And um, there's a whole science behind it. You know, they they call it trolleyology or something like this, where they they always put the milk and the bread right at the back, right? So to get to it, you have to walk past the candy, and then on the way back, you have to walk past the toilet paper. So they're trying to get you to to get all these other um, items in your process. But we really want to try to make most of the foods that we eat nature-made foods and not man-made foods. So it's a little simple rule to walk around and say, did nature make that or was it man-made? And I think it's a great little filter. And it's okay to have some man-made foods. I think we shouldn't... A really important point that we make in Hunger for Change is about not beating ourselves up, and we can touch on that mental aspect in a little bit, but we should just try to gravitate towards those whole foods. And it's amazing how great they can taste. 
and learning to experiment with new foods and nuts and seeds and soaking them or, make, or using nut butters and making smoothies or putting greens in juices or smoothies and you know, just learning new ways to, to use these foods and get them into your diet can be a lot of fun as well. And that might involve getting a recipe book or a book, which we have some, some items like that, or doing a simple detox or a cleanse to be able to refresh your palate. I, I've just come off three days of liquids only, and I just felt that my digestive system needed a little bit of a break. And I did juices, smoothies, and soups for three days. And I haven't, I broke my little cleanse yesterday afternoon with a avocado and it never tasted so good it's amazing and and when you, somebody does that you just clean out for a little bit it's a simple little cleansing process it's in most religious traditions it's in most traditions of cultures around the world the nepalese for instance have just one day where they just drink soaked prune juice for one day a week and there's all these little cultures that do this and fasting traditions and when you do that like a peach tastes like heaven like nothing on earth and i think that is a great thing to do because you realize how incredible natural foods are and you can start to escape that that diet or that cycle of you know being addicted to some of these foods because they have an addictive component these processed foods these days there's no doubt about it oh i mean you know and that's why you know with the sugar that is in everything and you know i i remember i was at um, a conference and carol sutherland was speaking and she said um she's up on stage and she says well yeah, you want to eat that popcorn before you go to bed? You're going to be wearing it around your middle. You want to eat that cereal? You're going to wear it around your middle. And she, she just went on and on with all the different foods that have sugar in them. And most people, you know, think when they're popping popcorn, that's like something healthy. But when you think about it, it's it's straight corn. There you go. And then mm. the the packaged popcorn, oh, let's have movie time popcorn. Let's. It's just, it's so atrocious. And, you know, and then you let's microwave it too. Let's just, you know... <laughs> you know, I mean, all of it. But, you know, but for the average person, you know, when they, I, I think it's beautiful how you said that about a beat and children not even recognizing it. And, you know, the school lunch programs are deplorable, you know, and, you know, you, we, we have to start somewhere. And, and Europe really doesn't welcome our fruits and vegetables anymore because we don't even, in the U.S., we don't even have to, like, label if it's genetically modified anymore. It's... It's horrendous, really. So it is. It is. Yeah. So I think I think one of the big things we talk about with regard to that, with making it easy for people, and this came up in the most recent documentary and the book Hungry for Change, was about the concept of adding in, and and this is something I wanted to talk about here. Is that traditionally, like you said, you were spot on. You said in the fifties we came up with all these convenience foods, you know, all these processed foods, new packaging, new preserving methods, and that was sort of like I mentioned earlier, that was around that same time that we were coming out of world the victory of World War Two. We were rebuilding our societies. We were we were coming up with all these new technologies and conveniences because we'd invested a lot in technology during the war and it sort of gets carried forth into our society. That's where a lot of GPS technology came from, that's where the internet came from. So we were we were using a lot of this technology to advance our lives. And at that time, then you know, take twenty, thirty years later, you get into the 60s and 70s and 70s and 80s in particular, we're starting to get fatter, we're starting to get more chronic diseases, and then we had this this sort of diet industry emerge where we had the first sort of big diet books start to come on and, and make a big impact on the marketplace. And there were some great ones and there were some not so great ones. And if you look at what the diet mentality has done to us during that whole period of the 70s and the 80s when we're on these diet crazes, and that's continued right through to now, there's a whole concept of ex taking foods out of your diet, which I agree with in some respect, but to be honest, it hasn't worked. This approach of restriction-based dietary approaches, which is most fad diets that exist, whether it's restricting calories, restricting carbohydrates, or restricting fats, or restricting food groups, such as meat, or restricting dairy, or restricting breads, etc. What that does in the body is it makes you feel like you're not getting something in your in your in your mind mostly and this is called like the neurosis of the diet mentality and that's why we've had more fad diets than ever before and we're spending to the tune of 60 billion dollars a year on diet and weight loss related products it's everything from sugar-free products to diet products to diet books to cleanse products so we're spending so much money on this now and yet we've never experienced higher rates of obesity 
So in my head, when I'm making this film, I'm like, there is something wrong here. There is something fundamentally wrong with our approach here. And what was wrong in the opinions of the experts in the film, and, and also I agree with it, is that we've been barking down this whole approach of restriction, 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 eat less, move more, restrict this, don't have this, more fats, lower fats, more carbohydrates, low carbohydrates, more protein, low protein. And when you do that, people feel like they're missing out on something and they just can only last so long and they're like, I did six days or I did 10 days and like, I just want to eat that again, you know? And when you manipulate calories or you manipulate the ratio of fats or proteins, you can get some short-term weight loss and you might have a success, but the bounce back rate is so high. UCLA show that up to two-thirds of people who go on a diet fail and regain that weight after they've been on that diet. So what we talk about in Hungry for Change is, is how can we go against all that that we know hasn't worked and how can we devise something that is going to work for people? And that is the concept of adding in. It's don't take anything out of your diet currently. Just add in the green juice. Add in some more hydration in the morning, in the morning, some more water. Add in a salad with your lunch. Add in some sprouts with your dinner, for instance. Add in, you know, add in these fresh, vibrant, live, living foods that are low in toxins, that are high in nutrients, that can really help to support your body with enzymes and vitamins and minerals, and and that completely deactivates all the mental neurosis. And it's a, it's a, such a fabulous way for people to start and they can just go great i'm just going to add that in i'm just going to add that in and they don't have to think about oh i can't eat this i can't eat that and i really think that that can help so many people transition to to a to a healthier way of living well and i think that that is a point you know well taken because so many people as you just said think that it's a restriction to lose weight you have to you know it's and really once your body starts getting the natural uh, foods and uh, nuts and grains and you know you have but but the trick is to not only add it in but to have it on hand. I, I can Indeed, remember. Indeed, absolutely. That's it. You know, I mean, it's so easy to throw a spinach salad together when you have the cran raisins and the walnuts, the you know whatever you want to put with it on hand. And I think yeah. I think that's one of the the you know some your articles and everything in your book and your your you know DVDs etc. And I want I want to give some of the websites you have so many it's like people can find you so many ways it's fabulous so there's um uh www.hungryforchange.tv there is, and i'm going to say a couple and then i'm going to let you add the others uh and on facebook you can go to www.facebook.com slash food matters and um oh my gosh there are other, there are other websites so james which ones do you want to add sure we have our main first website which is called foodmatters.tv and we also have a hungry for change facebook page as well which is really vibrant and lots of discussions on there and that's facebook.com forward slash hungry for change film right and so what's great about this is that you know i mean and i'm I'm on your email list i i think because i worked with a publicist for your um films and i don't even think she realized that we've been i think we published four four different articles and um i mean it's just you make it easy and you make it understandable and people right now more than ever are are starting to wake up you know i'll be in the grocery store i you know i shop at whole foods a lot but in trader joe's i like trader joe's too mm-hmm. because um you know they're they're some of the things aren't so good but a lot is and yeah. um but but in the traditional grocery stores i see people mainly in the processed aisles reading the ingredients and trying to figure out how do i navigate this but but if you just go to a healthy avocado, like you were describing, like the divine taste of an avocado as your first food after fasting, you know, I grew up. I grew up fasting. I was, um, as a child, raised in the Catholic faith, and so it was normal for us to go to bed and not eat until after mass in the morning, which may, may not sound like a long fast. But then we had the fasting holy days, and then, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I don't whatever. But then, but then, as uh, Paul Bragg was introduced to me in the eighties, and you know, yeah. I read so much of his information, and you know, who was the other one? I, I don't know. I just read a lot. I've always um, been interested. Harvey Diamond. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's life. another one. Oh my God! It begins with an E, but I can't remember. But but I remember reading that Paul Bragg book from front to back and looking at the colon and <laughs> looking at all the different things that can be released 
from yeah. fasting. Well, Paul, and I mean, Patricia is great too. I mean, Patricia yes. Bragg is such a sweetie. She's such a great character. And and um, I didn't I didn't add. I actually had some some Bragg's apple cider vinegar on the avocado as well. Oh, <laughs> but, lovely. Um, it was great. But it's it, it's so true. There is there is. I think there's just so much we don't know about the body. Like I remember before before I studied nutrition, not many people know this. I was actually a ship's officer, and I used to to work on ships at sea, container ships, um, you know, big cargo ships, tankers, high speed passenger ferries. And part of my training, I had to be a the medical officer on the ship. So I had to do some emergency emergency sort of paramedic style training, and I did some paramedic time and some trauma time at hospitals just for a very short short period. But I remember learning such critical information about life-saving information. Like if you rock up to a car accident, just holding that person's head up so that the, the windpipe can stay open if they're, if they're unconscious, and that can save a life. And that was so critical, and I was so annoyed. I was so disgruntled that I didn't get taught this at school. Because I'm like, this is so critical. And then when I went and studied nutrition, oh my goodness, that's when I really got upset. I'm like, what? We were not taught this. My parents didn't know this. Um, our culture didn't know this. Our school certainly didn't know this. And our school lunch cafeterias and canteens certainly didn't know this. Oh, no. Where are we meant to get this information from? I mean, this is the building blocks of life. I mean, first you've got how to how to save a life with, like, simple paramedic care. I mean, that is crucial knowledge if you're around kids or family members to be able to have that. And also... On top of that, nutritional knowledge, how to prevent and reverse chronic illness using natural therapies and nutrition, it's, it's, it's not difficult to learn, but it's surprising how little it's in our public domain, so to speak. And that's where I really got passionate about wanting to help my dad with that first and foremost. But then secondly, to try, which is the primary question every day that I ask myself and that we all ask at the Food Matters at the team, at the company, is how can we help share this message with more people? We are like hell-bent, so to speak, on like trying to make sure that this, these films and this message can reach a wider audience so that people who are diagnosed with cancer or heart disease or depression or mental illness can know there is another way outside of a lot of the pain that exists within going down a conventional medical route. And sometimes that's the right thing to do and sometimes it's the right thing to do in conjunction with natural therapies but be informed and that's really can help you make a better decision. You know, um it's interesting you shared this other part of your life, you know, working with ships, et cetera. I, I was just um, in uh, Florida, and my cousin's renting uh, a home there for six months, and she's on this marina. And, I mean, I – oh, it's fabulous. Because she, she, had, she rented this site unseen from the Internet. And I was like, are you sure, you know, you know exactly where you're going? And we get there, and it was like – fabulous. I mean, the fresh fish came in, you know, every single day and, you know, watching people go out and watching these ships come in and you just think, you know, the ocean has so much between the seaweed and, you know, all the different things. And, you know, and I thought, I just felt so close to nature, you know, being being right there. And, you know, m many people do not know that I started off as a nurse. And so here I was as a nurse in the early, uh, early to mid 70s and I stayed there until um, the late 80s. And then by then I I was, you know, totally into other more holistic uh, realms. But, you know, when I went through my own cancer experience uh, seven years, seven, a little over seven years ago, it, 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 you know, I knew I had to wake up and I knew I had to really think about this. So to prepare for some of the treatments that I opted to do, you know, mm -hmm. I did holistic and traditional I, I, my, my, I remember my girlfriend saying, what are we going to do for our birthday this year? Because that was my birthday present. It was literally on my birthday that I found out I had the breast cancer. And, I, and I, she says, where are we going for lunch or dinner this year? And I said, we're not. <laughs> she said, what? I said, no. I said, I, I said, what would be the greatest gift for me is I said, do you still have your wheatgrass juicer? And she said, yes. <laughs> and I said, the greatest gift for me is for the next 40 days or something like that, before I go in to start all this stuff, I would love to be able to come to your home each morning – I said, we can take weekends off if it's too much of a, a burden. But I said, I would love to come and do the wheatgrass, you know, juicing. And then also I'll bring my own vegetables and, and or fruits and, and if we could juice that too. And she said, not a problem. So her gift was she would go to the store and – 
Yeah, and she got a flat of the wheatgrass, and that's what we did. And, you know, and it prepared me psychologically, and I I also, you know, realized, I'm, I'm like, okay, where am I out of whack? And I was out of whack, totally. You know, I, you know, fall into some pretty um, sugar, you know, as a as a release after a divorce and my mother yeah. dying. And so, yeah. you know, you had to look at it, like, what am I using for comfort, you know, to comfort uh-huh. myself, and here uh-huh. I am. Okay, wake up. And I think that, you know, when you understand that when they do the lab work in the labs, the scientists use sugar to get the cancer cells to grow so that they can study them more. Now, what does that say? <laughs> sugar feeds cancer. That's exactly what oh, it says. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. I know. And it's just, it's shocking that that's, that even that's not told to people. Oh, I know. How sad that that's not told to people. Yeah. That should be the first thing people are told when they're diagnosed. You know, the other thing is, let's talk about NutraSweet and people who are drinking, you know, I mean, it's not even just the NutraSweet, it's the, it's any kind of soda, you know, the, the, you know, the way I try to explain it is, what do you do when you have an oil stain on your driveway? You take a can of soda and it goes, and heats it up. <laughs> so I said, envision that in your body, but, but you have studied this greatly. Let's, let's talk about regular soda and diet soda and the new fat-free products. Great, fantastic. Well, let's talk about regular soda first. Regular soda in the U.S. is made using a sweetener called high fructose corn syrup. Now, high fructose corn syrup is an extracted sweetener from corn, and it's so heavily concentrated, as Mike Adams says from the Hungry for Change film, he said it's like jet fuel for your body. It's too powerful. There is so much sugar potential and so much sweetness in there that it just sends your body haywire, and you go on this huge spike of blood sugar in your body and then the pancreas has to secrete all this insulin to try balance it out and that's why we've got all this diabetes issues and that's why we've got so much overweight issues because that's where if the pancreas and the insulin can't deal with it then it gets stored as fat for later and and, and so we really need to try to cut down and, 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 and or eliminate the high fructose corn syrup from our diet. I'm okay with fruit sugars and natural sweeteners that are really natural sweeteners but we have to steer clear of these artificial and highly processed sweeteners such as the high fructose corn syrup and that's really that's a new food that's one of those new foods that we invented after world war ii it was a japanese scientist that came up with the technology and and now it's become a huge mainstay in our diet. I mean, it's in your tomato sauce here now. It's in just about everything. So become a detective, read your labels, and see what it's in. And if you pick up a mainstream commercial bottle of tomato sauce and you see that there's high fructose corn syrup in it, find one that doesn't have it in there. Find a natural version. Or make your own. We have a traditional... Tomato sauce used to be a fermented sauce. That's how we had most of our sauces, from sauerkrauts to tartar sauce to tomato sauce. It was all fermented condiments that we used to use to preserve, and that gives you healthy bacteria as well. So try to find a traditional form of your tomato sauces as you can. But it's in breads. It's in it's in tomato sauces for your pasta. I mean, high fructose corn syrup is in everything. So be careful of that. That's in your sodas as well. So watch out for the high fructose corn syrup. Now, then the biggest challenge is that people go, great, I'm going to go sugar-free version. And unfortunately, what sugar-free generally means 99% of the time is that it has aspartame in it. And aspartame is an artificial sweetener that is a non-natural toxic ingredient for our body. It has formaldehyde accumulation effects in the brains. It's been linked to certain forms of neurological cancer. It can cause aberrations of your vision. It and and the worst thing of all, Yale University has shown that the consumption of artificial sweeteners, that's all your diet sodas, that's all your sugar-free gum, that's in your sugar-free yogurt, these artificial sweeteners increase carbohydrate cravings. So you do the right thing by going sugar-free when you think you're doing it. You get the artificial sweetener and then you crave more carbohydrates and you eat more carbohydrates, more breads, more pastas, which has a negative effect on, which negates the effect of trying to do something good in the first place. 
So no. it's a double it's a double bad news. I'm sorry on that one. No, 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 it's okay. I was just you know, you know, sometimes when you're hearing something you you see I'm you know, I'm very clairvoyant, so I see <laughs> images and I can remember um when I was in nursing school in the early seventies that there were two two other student nurses, you know, learning to be nurses at the same time, who were both scheduled for um what do you call it? the stomach stapling surgery after oh, yeah. I mean so here they were, we would have lunch together. Their trays would be laden with just <laughs> Imagine coconut cream pie and all this stuff, and then there would be a diet soda on the tray. Yeah. In the middle of all of it, and I, I you know, it's, and I think that, you know, so many people that are that they realize it's an addiction. You know, if we we have food addicts now, and you know, I, as a little girl, I remember there was this house where this lady never left, and I never, I never really, you know, it was like this the street over from us, and I remember when she died. They had to, like, they couldn't get her out of the doorway. They had to do all these special things because she weighed 450 or 500 pounds. Like, I don't, I can't even fathom someone even weighing that much. But she never left her house. And I think that that's what's happening is people just aren't walking in their neighborhoods and saying, hello, how are you? And yet I live in a very multi, multicultural neighborhood. The Asians always walk. The Hindus always walk. I mean, there's just... Certain yeah. people that have migrated to this country or, or have been born here, whatever, but they know the benefits of, yeah. of the exercise. Yeah, yeah, and it's become a part of their their culture and their community. And I think there's so many other wider aspects to how we interrelate with our body and our environment that are so crucial for health as well. If you look at the Blue Zone studies, for instance, on longevity, I I, I love them because it it there's this aspect of if you've got, if you're dealing with a chronic illness like you've been through or like my father's been through, you need to do some form of intervention. You need to say, give me a wheatgrass shot every day for the next 30 days, or I'm going to do a cleanse, or I'm going to really, I'm not going to eat that anymore just until I get rid of this because I know that I need to really take massive action here. So there's those sorts of wake-up calls, and, and that's where a lot of nutrition natural therapy is great for that, and also conventional therapy in conjunction with it if you choose to do it properly informed and, and properly enriching your body with nutrition. But at the same time, there's this other area where if people are healthy, they're doing okay, they've got a little bit of extra weight, they don't have any health scares, they they might not want to go that extreme. And I think it's really interesting when you look at these longevity studies in Europe, and it's great to see these cultures like the Sicilians, for instance, or, you know, there's Sardinians, and they're sitting on their little islands, they're drinking wine every day from noon, <laughs> they're having a little bit of coffee, they're having a little bit of bread, but they're having so much beautiful natural whole foods, they're having tomatoes, they're having fresh bitter green salads, they're having you know, fresh fish out of the ocean, yes. they've got olives and olive oil, they've got so many great natural foods they have access to, but one of the most critical aspects I see that they have it's this sense of love and connection and community. And that is something that we have certainly, for the most part, in many places in the westernized, developed world, lost the, that's, we've lost that sense. And that's we don't sit down and have a two-hour dinner with eight people and family every night. <laughs> we do that once a year at Thanksgiving, and we gorge ourselves. Oh, you know? And so I think that that, that history and that culture that the Europeans have, which is where we all came from, really. We, we were all immigrants from there originally, right, unless right. you're indigenous here. But we, we, I think there's a lot to be said about that. And if you can, can try to combine that, that culturally rich traditions of sitting down and loving and hugging everybody and saying, I love you, and having a reverence and appreciation for your food and thinking about where it came from and enjoying a glass of wine and doing that, I think that in conjunction with organics and natural foods and cleansing foods, I think there's some sort of secret going on there, which is not a secret. It's there. We, well, but I totally, I, I totally agree. You know, I mean, I was in Italy, I don't know, probably eight or ten years ago, and it is exactly as you described. When you were in, like, not one of the big modern restaurants that are catering to, you know, like, et cetera, but when you're in a true Italian restaurant – You'll see what you described, six or eight or ten people with the children and everyone yeah. 
two to three hours, and they, they'll yeah. order a yeah. small plate, and then they'll laugh, and then they'll order another little small plate, and, you know, everyone's sharing with each other, and, you know, and I, I just had the, the wonderful opportunity of um, vacationing with my daughter, who's actually living in Spain now, and, um, but, but we visit, I was with her for 18 Beautiful. days in Morocco in Spain this summer, and mm. I was in Morocco during Ramadan, and, you I've know, done it, Ramadan in Morocco before, it's an interesting Oh, gosh, you know, so, so, so here we are, you know, like this one day, I don't know, there, most of the restaurants were closed during the day because, you know, they open, mm-hmm. of course, at in the evening after they fasted all day, and um, and then at 9.30 at night until 3 in the morning, it's just everyone's celebrating and eating, but I, we stopped in this McDonald's because we were somewhere where nothing was open, and I said, let's just get a salad, so we're in there, and I see these two little children eating their McDonald's as their parents are sitting there not eating not drinking because it is Ramadan, but the children grow up understanding this whole thing, like, you know, like understanding that this is a way to be closer to God and to honor the self, and, and they understand, mm-hmm. they see their parents doing this, and then they then they get to celebrate. They're with their parents until like 2.30 in the morning, out, like, enjoying life yeah, after, yeah. A, it's just so Fabulous. I know, I know. And I think that we need to try to reconnect with that. And there were some studies also done here where there was immigrants that came to America. And what happens when we immigrate to America or to Australia for that matter, we start to adopt the dietary patterns of the culture that we immigrate to. And so obviously the disease rates of a woman in Japan, for instance, is much lower than that same disease rates for that same Japanese person that immigrates to America where the disease rates then go up because of the diet and lifestyle that is, that is different here than what it is in Japan for her or him or her. So when we look at immigrating Europeans, there was one study that showed that there was this strange anomaly in some of the research where there were these buildings or parts of towns where all the Italians, for instance, would live together, or all the such and such would live together. They would have adopted the American diet, yet they retained a lot of their cultural traditions of sitting and eating for hours and hours, or, you know, like connecting and loving with family, or living with eight or ten people in the household, of three generations in one household, for instance. And they had increased rates of disease because they were still eating the American food, but it was still lower than the overall American disease rates. They're like, hang on, what's going on there? They're eating the food, but they've still got the lower overall disease rates, and they attributed that to that sense of community and love that they that they bring. And, and we tr- need to try to re-establish that. Even if we can do it once a week, say, hey, let's have five or six people around beautiful food and sit down for two hours and just love and laugh and drink some wine and eat really, really good quality food. And it doesn't have to be drinking to excess or eating to excess or having sweets after sweets after sweets at desserts. You know, just like you said, when you experience that, you, you know what it's like. It's just, it's just interesting. You know, I, I, one of my degrees was, you know, healthcare, and, um, healthcare management. And mm-hmm. you know, after I did the nursing, I went back and I don't know, I've done all kinds of things and changed my degree several times. So by the time I got the Bachelor of Science, I think I changed it three times, and then did three masters and never even finished it. Started Spirit Seeker, but, um, but I, I can remember, um, you know, doing a research paper on. Um, infant mortality rates, you know, with the U.S., and and somehow I contrasted it with Japan. And, you know, in Japan, when a woman um, finds out that she's pregnant, they will give them bus tokens to get to the prenatal clinics. You know, they will give them food if if the woman needs food. I mean, it's just such a different mindset, you know. And then, you know, I remember writing a paper on China and, you know, the fact that, you know, China oftentimes will have the most advanced equipment, but they don't really have people that know how to always use that equipment and, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in remote areas. But yet, you know, you might have to bring your own bed linens to a Chinese hospital, but yet they have acupuncture and every, you know, it's just... Yeah, I know. That's so cool. That's amazing. But this is this is where Amer- I mean I heard Obama say something last night on the it's if he goes um, he was talking about the shutdown right now and I don't want to get into politics because we are we are the the world's we are the we are the best we are the best country in the world or something like this and how dare we have this shutdown we shouldn't have to go through this we shouldn't have to pass this legislation and it, I, I you know Americans want to be the best country in the world they've always seeked to 
to get the best knowledge and the best people and figure out how to do it and, 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 the, and the capitalism and the business and everything. Right now, we need to improve connections, social welfare, welfare and nutrition massively if we're going to survive. I mean, I'm talking about Australia, I'm talking about the US, I'm talking about New Zealand, I'm talking about the United Kingdom, the Western developed world. We have forgotten how to do that. And you, you said in your research, these traditional cultures have got acupuncture in their hospitals. I mean, they've got these simple cultural traditions where they sit down and have meals for two hours a night instead of disintegrating our culture and we're sitting down watching TV for two hours a night on our own eating frozen dinners. We need to ah. re... We need to look at those cultures and say, what have they got that, that we could add to our already fantastic lives that we've created in this modern world? How do we connect the old and the new together to, to forge a new way forward? And I think that's a really good point you bring up. Well, and I would like now to change gears totally. We're talking about all this, the food for nutrition, et cetera. But another huge industry in the U.S. and throughout the world is beauty. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, so let's, you know, I mean, it, it's so funny because I, I I train people to do breath work, you know, for rejuvenation and uh, longevity. And, you know, in California, you can buy cans of oxygen and there are oxygen bars, you know, and ozone, you know, et cetera. But it's like, so people will just pay for things that you think they wouldn't pay for it, but they were, were, you know, obsessed with beauty and how do I do this? And there's so many natural things we can do. So let's talk about how you touch on how to have clear eyes, glowing skin, and healthy hair by really just changing the way you're doing it. Well, beauty, as David Wolfe and many of the other experts in the film say, comes from the inside out. And that's the best way to achieve long-lasting beauty as well. But the beauty industry has told us that putting toxic chemicals on our body is the answer. And if you start to read the labels of the beauty products that exist, it is a dumping ground for wholesale toxic chemicals in there. And a lot of those toxic chemicals that we came up with since that world was who has found their way into skincare products. So start to look for more natural products. You'll see them now as like paraben-free, sodium or sulfate-free. You'll start to see these catchwords continue to do a little bit of research we talk about some of them in the film and the book and start to become a little bit more savvy there so so first step is use natural products externally on your body and the best products to use in your body i always say are the products that you can eat can you eat it and coconut oil you can eat that put it on your body you know sesame oil you can eat that put it on your body argon oil you can eat that put it in your body. Ed- edible oils are great because they not only are soak in and provide nutrition to your body transdermally through the skin, but they also are, you know, your body knows how to deal with that and there's no toxins and that's really important. But getting beauty from the inside out is so incredibly powerful. And Mike Adams says that, you know, from the the film and he's the founder of Natural News, he says that if people are preparing for a wedding or some sort of special event, one of the best things they can do is start juicing. Start juicing 30 days before and have a fresh vegetable juice, ideally greens, lower on the sugar, on the sweet fruits, but mainly greens. You do that once a day for 30 days and your skin's going to look better than someone who's gone and bought, you know, this expensive creams and put on all these treatments. And it's really a powerful way to to clear your skin and clear your eyes and, and, and be very healthy and beautifully beautiful looking. You know, I can remember... Um Driving from I I I was uh, raised in the Midwest, St. Louis, and I remember driving from St. Louis to Virginia Beach to go to the Edgar Casey Institute. Uh-huh. Always fascinated with Edgar Casey, and <laughs> you know, I mean, just fascinated. And so I I just decided to go and um, stayed in one of the homes, you know, from one of the members of ARE, which is Area for Research and Enlightenment, which is based on all of Edgar Casey's findings. And uh-huh. you know, he I remember Edgar Casey. One of the things I read: if you eat eight almonds a day raw not roasted, salted, blah, 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 eight raw almonds a day, your chances are pretty high that you will not have cancer. No, cancer and, I thought, yeah. and I'm like, what What the heck? And so I had my first massage in at their, their center, you know, and they used almond oil. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that, I mean, it smelled good. It was like, you know, divine. And then this wonderful massage. And, you know, coconut oil, you mentioned that. I'm so glad you mentioned that because, of all things, I mean, Trader Joe's is where I normally go for my coconut oil, but Sam's Wholesale Market in my area now has coconut oil. 
Yay, that's say? so good. That's so good. What I think Costco's selling whole hemp seeds now even as well. I mean, <laughs> this is great news. Oh, my gosh. Well, because you talk about flax and chia seeds and, you know, various algaes, and, you know, I'm really glad you brought up the fermented foods because, you know, we grew up with these fermented foods, but it's not on the diet anymore. No, we've taken them out, and that's been a huge mistake. Every time we ate an animal product in every culture, most for the most part, there was a fermented accompaniment and so if you can think about the germans with their their bratwurst they had sauerkraut if you think about the fish fresh fish they had the tartare sauce if you think about um, the tomato sauce as a side you think about the kimchi in the korean cultures you think about the, the the pickled vegetables in the japanese cultures with their fresh fish so anytime we're eating something that was you know that took a little bit more digestive fire so to speak more of the animal products there was always a fermented food there and then we took out the fermented foods and replaced it with sort of toxic um, mayonnaises and tomato sauces and everything, which has high fructose corn syrup in it. And then we have the meats, which are fed corn, and they're not fed grass anymore, so their whole fatty acid ratio is messed up, and they're now inflammation-causing instead of naturally reasonably healthy for the body in some respects. And so we have this... We took fermented foods out. I mean, hang on, we shouldn't have done, we shouldn't have done that. And right. And kefir is in properly fermented yogurts and been made with an ingredient that's a good start, ideally like a, a, a some sort of raw milk or, or goat milk or something that can be suited to, to some people who can digest dairy, particularly the fermented dairy is a lot easier to digest. So these fermented products are so crucial for the, the gut bacteria and if you can get your gut bacteria right, then you can digest and assimilate the nutrients that you're eating and that is... Yeah, it's a really critical point. I'm I'm really happy we did bring that up in the film and the book as well. Right. You know, it's interesting. I had a friend who, the same friend, by the way, who helped me juice um, before, you know, I went in for, you know, all the things with the uh, the experience of breast cancer. And, um, but, it, I mean, it was a wake-up call, and, you know, I'm grateful, as you know. I'm, I'm sure, well, I shouldn't say you know, but as I have learned, you know, whenever there's an experience on some level, you've called it in, and, yes. you know, you Indeed. you acknowledge that, you thank it, and then you get busy with, you know, working with it. And, yeah. and so she came in from out of town, and she said, I have this, um, this ulcer on my leg. And I said, well, how long have you had that? And she said, for a year. And the, she says, the doctor said I have too much acid in my system. And so... She says, I think I have leaky gut, and I think I'm, I'm like, okay, all right. And then now she's living in an area where they actually have a clinic for abdominal um, issues. It's like because there are so many people that have so much inflammation, you know, with the acid reflux and, you know, the. Uh, she says, my stomach is upset always. And so we're ordering a salad. To order a salad, she says, oh, I can't have anything fermented. Oh, I can't have any vinegar. Oh, I can't have... I just said she can't have lemon. She can't have... And I'm sitting there thinking, these oh, are probably no. all the things that, that your body needs. needs. And, you know, with homeopathy, you give your body... Like, like, people just don't understand that sometimes the things that are that you think are causing it are the things that your body is craving the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. I mean, the fermented foods can help gut repair so much. I mean, that's crucial. Absolutely. And it's shocking that they would be advised against it. But that's the traditional approach and so the ph balancing they don't get and you know everything else how to get to the right ph oftentimes you have to add it like like people think vinegar oh my god that's so acidic acidic yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can be alkaline when it's made properly this right. is i had one of my first health issues that i really had was severe reflux acid reflux and my my family doctor at the time when i was this is when i was working at she gave me some some pills to suppress the acid secretion in my stomach and I was like, okay, fine, perfect, took them, symptoms went away, happy as. Um, between Adelaide and Perth and the, and the Great Australian Bight, out in the middle of the ocean on the ship, and my prescription runs out. It stops. And I start getting the symptoms straight back. I'm like, this is crazy. This this cannot be right. And one of the friends on board had this CD about health and alkalinity, and cleansing and, and being alkaline versus acid in your diet and in your bloodstream. And it was a Tony Robbins talk or something I remember. And I started listening about acid-alkaline balance and, and, and Robert Young's original work. Uh, and I was like, whoa. And I went to a health food store. As soon as I got into the next port, I bought some wheatgrass or barleygrass powder. 
and I just started having that with water like crazy, and I started having less heavy foods and acidic foods, and I, I, I never had reflux again in my entire life since that point, and that's just, I had to just go outside of the medical profession for that knowledge, and that that this has to be available to people in like a big way, like a big, big way. Only 4% of the U.S. population eats organic right now. That's shocking. That well, is shocking. We need, we have big changes to make. We've got a lot of people to reach. I'm so thankful that you're you're playing a part as well with your radio station and what you've created. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, listeners, share this. The minute this interview is, is uh, complete, what I love about Blog Talk, you know, radio is the fact that it is a virtual blog. This show is archived. We we have we get stats, so we know that people sometimes who can't listen live, you know, they're listening and they're sharing. So, you know, this is a this interview alone, you know, you've learned so much in one short little hour. Now imagine if you start getting the emails with the wonderful articles and you pursue these websites that you know James and Laurentine have. I mean, you you are you're giving so much to people, and then of course you need to support them by purchasing their books and DVDs, et cetera. But, but, you know, you're just helping people. And, you know, talking about that um, acid alkaline, this is just the last thing I, you know, uh, we have a few more moments and we're, we're complete, but I would love to have you back again um, if, if space and time permits in your busy life. But what I wanted to share is I took this greens cooking class and the the instructor, it was like in an amphitheater with a cooking show, like, you know, and I know that you and Laurentine do these things, you know, cooking demonstrations, but here's this instructor, it was a, uh, she had us all do the pH, um, pH before we started, uh-huh. so many people in that room, it was like the season where you have colds and sniffles and la la la, and they were all acid, you know, yeah. around three of them coughing, going, oh, I'm so glad I, I'm, you know, healthy and strong here, and so then we had, like, samples of, like, Three different kinds of, of green, green, greens, like kale and chard, and I forget what the other one was. I mean, just like little tiny samples on little plates as she demonstrated how to cook it. She had everyone do their pH. What do you think it was? No, it went down just by that? Just by sampling these greens, there was absolutely... Everyone went alkaline except for one person, and that was a some person that I knew had had stomach stapling. And her idea of eating then was to eat sugar, and she still so she never mastered it. She never mastered what yeah. caused her, you know, obesity in the first place. And I mean, and I just thought she's not going to make it if she doesn't like figure it out that you can't, you know, continue to to be, eat that way, especially after, you know, you've changed your body that way. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's you know, I mean, it was pretty shocking, and everyone in the room got it, but you know. This this high acidity is the anti-inflammatory diets, etc. Some of them still don't address the core issues. I know you know this. Yeah, indeed they don't. And greens are one of the biggest gifts we've been given from Mother Nature. And if you can concentrate that in a juice, that is like the that's like the turbocharged way to health. If you want one thing, if there's one piece of advice I can give you, that is going to change your health the most dramatically I can give you two tips the first one is drink more water hydrate first thing in the morning drink a liter of water or a quart have like fresh lemon juice in there if you've got some squeeze a little bit of lemon in there drink that down that's going to stimulate your digestive system it's going to help things to move out of the body we want things to move out of the body particularly down the bottom half of the body when you sit on the toilet that's what you want happening every day a lot of people that doesn't happen so easily hydration helps that happen Second thing, green juice, fresh vegetable juice, kale, cucumber, celery, parsley, cilantro, fennel, and a little bit of lime. And if you can't handle that, which you should be able to, then try a little bit of apple in there a little bit or a little bit of pear. It's a low GI sweetener. My goodness, you're getting so much green. That's going to be so good for you. And that's that's how you kickstart your health. And just add those two in. Have the rest of your stuff, whatever it is, but just add that in and you'll be flying. Okay. So, listeners, this was a wonderful hour shared with James Colhoun. He and Laurentine Tinbosch are the producers of Food Matters and Hungry for Change. And please share this interview and let um, let your friends and family know that these DVDs, you can have a food party. You can have an evening where you invite friends over and everybody watches the DVD and you all learn together. And children are very wise. They learn quickly. And, you know, we're the examples. You know, your parents are the, the first teachers that children encounter. So the more you listen to what 
you know, replay this interview. You know, don't exclude, include, you know, add something healthy, and then small steps we know make the journey lighter and you just start you start from where you are so james thank you thank you thank you for for visiting with our listeners and and being here today and for all you're doing and just thank you from my heart to yours cindy thank you so much thank you for being a force for good on this planet i appreciate what you're doing oh my goodness okay we're all in it together okay so thank you so much and have a fabulous week everyone goodbye